Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. It's episode 43. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. Today we're talking with Chris Air Walker and it's actually a podcast we recorded way back months ago. I think it was even May when we recorded it. At the time he had just finished being out at Faroe Island recording a project that was not yet to be released or announced, and he didn't want us to actually share this podcast until it was ready. If this is your first time coming to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We are a podcast focused on photography stories, and so if you're a landscape photographer or a Milky Way photographer and you want to hear stories of others out there trying to do this, hearing their successes, hearing their failures, what they should have done better, what they should have known, and what is actually working for them... What Brendan and I do is we go out to locations and we try our best at a certain type of photography, landscape or astro, and then we talk about what went well, what we should have done, what we should have done better, and we share the crazy, funny things that happen to us while we're out on these trips and just bring you along. For this adventure, we're talking with Chris Air Walker. He's an Olympus visionary. He's a photographer that's a man of our heart as he's focused on adventure. So without any further ado, let's listen to Chris Air Walker talk about him as a photographer, him as an Olympus visionary, and his awesome projects that he does, and especially this one story of his trip out to Faroe Islands with the Dreamwalkers. Here you go. And so we are joined now with Chris Air Walker. I should actually ask you, Ayer or Air? It's Air Walker. Air Walker. Yeah. Like Air Walks, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Air Walker is joining us now from Belgium. I actually found you when I did a search for Photog Adventures, and you showed up on the Google search because there was also adventure photography on location. And so when you started your videos and doing your YouTube stuff, was it a challenge to come up with the name Adventure Photography on Location, or were you always set, dead set, on adventure photography because that's what you do? To be honest, I, I, it came pretty quickly. I, I didn't have to think much about it, but I don't know if it was <laughs> – it just was the result of what I was doing in Iceland when I started recording the episodes, and and the whole thing was a big adventure for me. Mm-hmm. So Right. And I wasn't really shooting landscapes because I tend to have a subject in my landscape, like someone on a kayak or someone standing in the landscape, so interacting with the landscape. So it's not really landscape photography. And so I, I thought, you know, adventure photography on location is basically exactly what I'm doing right now. So that's, <laughs> that's how the name came up. That's really cool. Yeah, we thought that this is guy who's right after our own minds because we see photography as this adventure, this story that we get uh, always go to participate in. Yeah. And having someone like you have the exact same idea of putting adventure in there, we thought, okay, yeah, we think this is someone who's thinking a lot alike with us. Yeah, yeah. So your photography, you, we were talking just a minute ago. Sorry, I have a cold that I came down with, and so uh-huh. now I've got to edit out all of my coughs and sniffles. So just real quickly, how did you get into photography? And you were talking about being an Olympus visionary and tell us a little bit more about how that came to be with Olympus Australia. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, I was very fortunate that my parents loved travel when I was a kid and every year we'd go to a certain, des- like uh, an exotic destination. We'd go to Central America. We went to Sri Lanka, uh, Southeast Asia, 
Africa, I went to safari. So very, very fortunate to be able to do that as a kid. Um, My parents just chose to live a modest life and invest in travel and experiences, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's how I really caught the travel bug. And I don't know, later on through high school, I didn't really pick up a camera. Obviously, we used to take photos while traveling, and I remember shooting a whole roll of good old school film on lions in Africa. I was, you know, <laughs> as a six, seven year old, you're completely really hated by it. So, um, hmm. yeah, that's, I, that's how I really started with photography, but it, it really dropped off. And then after when I was 18, I finished high school, the equivalent of high school, and um, went, joined the Belgian army. I didn't know what to study, so I joined the Belgian army. And I, it just, I needed a challenge. I always need a challenge in life. So I uh, joined the army like a, an elite unit. I would guess it's it's like special forces. I don't know. Um, right on. Commando, para-commando, it's, it's mm. what it's called. So it's, it's a bit different here, I guess. But uh, it was great. I mean, I was being paid to, you know, be fit and run six to 20 times a week and go to the gym and jump out of planes and you know <laughs> it was great but i did that for a couple of years and and sort of i decided i mean i managed to save quite a bit of money doing that because life was very cheap when i was there i, I could right. sleep near the barracks and you know i didn't have any loans to pay off or anything like that so uh, i saved up my money and then decided to go traveling for a year with uh, my best friend our limitations was one year and once around the world so that was the the wow. rules for our trip and one year uh, and once around the world yeah yeah what was and your pl- what was your path to get around the world was were you going further to the cape of good hope and then back up i mean how did you cross the major oceans um we did we had to exclude africa we had a around the world ticket and they basically airlines that have connected and associated to each other that that allow you to fly around the world in a year and it, it means you can fly sure. to the major cities. So yeah, you buy a ticket that's called the around the world ticket and yeah. it costs a certain amount. And for a whole year, you can use at least these certain airports. Um, yeah, you have to, it's, you do book your flights. So there is, there's not that much freedom, but you still um, have many options to go to different airports. So you have this whole map of places you can fly to. And then the amount of places and the amount of kilometers or miles that you fly will determine the price of the ticket. Oh man, mm, okay. what, what did yeah, that cost you? Honestly, I can't remember. <laughs> That's a sign of someone who was in good shape. That's a sign of someone who was in good situation where you didn't have to worry about the money right then. Well, we had to, but I, I don't want to chuck a wrong number in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, you say it was definitely under 10,000 euros or over? The ticket definitely was under, it was... Three between three and five thousand euros of it. I mean, that's a huge. That's a lot less than I would think. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was good. So yeah, I, I did that, and that's when I really got in touch with. I mean, in the army, had, I had a bit of money, so I bought a camera and I was playing around, you know, on manual and just on the weekends, just fascinated by the functioning of a camera and what I could do with it. And <laughs> then we, when we went traveling, I sort of that's when I combined my travel bug with this passion for photography and. Um, yeah, and I started thinking, you know what, you can actually try and make, try and keep on doing this somehow. And I, I met my girlfriend while traveling and she was Australian. So after our around the world trip, I basically had to pick, or we had to pick, you know, do you want to, do we want to live in Belgium where it rains 380 days a year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. 
live on the beach in Australia, so mm. it didn't take too long to decide. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. I love Belgium. For the listeners, I actually lived in Belgium for a few months, uh, almost a full year, and I loved it. But yeah, it is definitely, if it's not the summer, it's raining. It, is, it does rain a lot, so <laughs> it's nice to live in Sydney where it's you know, where you don't have to worry about the weather too much, so it's nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I moved to Sydney, and then I um, started shooting. Um, I had this great idea of, I thought, you know what, like I'm really passionate about surfing and the ocean and waves. Why not get a housing for my camera and start swimming around and and taking photos of the local surfers? You know, they're doing something they love. And if you're in there and taking a photo while they're doing it, it's great. I can sell photos to the local surfers. You know, no one's doing that. And then slowly but surely I found out that every single beach obviously already had at least one photographer. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I wasn't reinventing the wheel whatsoever. So, yeah, I still enjoyed it and got to know the community and, you know, got to become a little part of that that community, which was nice. And I just love being out in the elements, just added an extra challenge to photography. And then I, I started shooting um, studio work as well. So I helped build up this, this studio, which is now one of the biggest product photography companies in australia really? oh nice the uh, so i i, I helped what well, helped set it up i i helped um i was part of the beginnings of that and i worked there pretty much full-time as a contracting photographer so i was still free to take some days off and shoot more surf or more product depending on what it was if the surf was good i would obviously come in late <laughs> and leave early as long as the work was done i think i saw on your blog hmm. that you know chris burkhardt or at least you come across him is that how you met him was with surf photography uh, that's how i discovered him i really liked how he combined uh, surf photography with landscapes he put it like a location to surf photography whereas i was used to just the ocean and a person interacting with it but it, it never really <laughs> mattered where it was gotcha. and chris comes and puts this massive mountain in the background and perfectly places that surfer into the scene and it's just uh, (laughs) it was different back then i really liked it and it really inspired me um yeah so i I wanted to do more and more surf photography and eventually i saved some money again and we decided let's go traveling again because obviously my girlfriend and i are big travelers we met traveling and we you know we'd love to continue doing it so we've saved a little money again and went traveling and I actually had this opportunity to intern for Chris. I mean, it was, I had to move to California. I, I bought a van, lived in a van next to his studio so I could work there for four months for him or intern for him. And um, it was an office job, so there was no photography involved whatsoever. And it was three days a week, three to four days a week. And the rest of the time I had my van and I was just off exploring California. You know, we're looking at his thousands of photos going through his arch- archives, just <laughs> learning you know, learning what he has been doing and how he does it. And then you get this amazing playground that California is with a van and it was just perfect. So I was just mm. off every weekend exploring. Oh, I want to say that's an awesome opportunity to be an intern with Chris, but then you said it wasn't photography at all. It was just desk job. Mm. Why weren't you doing photography? Because you were only helping him get his photography out? <laughs> yeah, I mean... He had already blown up by then to a scale where he's employing, I think, 10 or 11 people just wow. so he can take photos. So <laughs> what I was doing, I was responding to almost all the email that was coming his way. And someone that is so big on social media gets a lot of emails, like a lot. <laughs> so it would be a full-time job for us to you know, sort out what is good, what is potential business, what is just a fan mail, 
um, just allocate all these emails and yeah, and we were wow. responsible for the equipment as well. So just making sure that the equipment was ready twenty four seven. I don't know. Yeah, we his book sales. It was just an you know intern job, nothing with huge responsibility. But it was the perfect opportunity to see how this guy runs a business at that scale. You know, I've never seen anything like it, and it was just fun to be part of. Definitely learned a lot. <laughs> oh man, that sounds mm. crazy cool. Yeah, and crazy busy. Actually, this is another story. When I was working for Chris, that was one of the trips I did with him, where it was about taking photos. The you know the opt out side campaign that REI did, not where it, in, instead of Black Friday, go to the shops and buy. Oh, oh you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Stuff opt to go outside mm-hmm. and and they and they had Chris promoting it to Thanksgiving. We had to leave in the evening and we drove all night from his place on the coast in California to Death Valley, and then we shot Black Friday and into Saturday. <laughs> and then we just drove back and he had to pub- publish three or four photos of, you know, opt outside instead of going to the shops. Mm. It was quite a, a long ride for a few photos. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Hours. It was good. <laughs> yeah. It was a long, a long distance to go for a couple of photos, but it, I mean, it was amazing. We drove to the, the what's it called? The, the sliding rocks. Mm. What's it called? Yeah. The, the yeah. ones no, that the, are, they have the trails behind them and they've obviously moved. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're driving through the whole night and then we, at the end of this trip, you get to Death Valley, which you know is not exactly a beautiful, welcoming place when you get there at no. night. It just looks like you're off, off the planet. Yeah, exactly and, what happened for us. When we were driving there alone at night, we felt like we were going the wrong way the whole time. <laughs> you really thought yeah. you were on the wrong road. And I mean, and, and we're driving up to these 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 stones and it, I mean, it's a long dirt road and it's not exactly I mean half of the time you're driving through this dried out riverbed and we were driving this little van up there <laughs> <laughs> it was not made for it. we had a flat tire and yeah it was pretty pretty crazy and then we arrived at two or three in the morning and then we were supposed to shoot sunrise the next did in a few hours <laughs> it was pretty it was so so tired That's brutal yeah but it was cool. It was a good good experience. You said you got a flat tire in that? Yeah. I've never seen guys change a tire so fast. It was, <laughs> it was like a racing team. We all just jumped out and everyone was doing the right thing and the tire was changed. I mean, we got back in and it was like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> How many flat spares did you bring? Just one? Just a one. So after that, it became a bit uh, scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. You mentioned your girlfriend loves to travel with you, and I'm curious, is she your model with all of your yellow jacket shots? That is correct, yes. Good call. We've slipped into this. People are like, who is this person? Who is in the yellow jacket? And we've <laughs> never turned her around. I, you know, it's, I'm sort of making it a thing now, I guess. But yes, she's my girlfriend. And <laughs> we travel together, so yeah. Nice. That makes it nice. I've noticed one video with a red jacket and a yellow jacket. Do you always have them on hand just in case? I tend, I really try to have a bright color jacket that contrasts well with the landscape. Uh, the yellow jacket is just... I mean, I'm not the first person to do take someone with a yellow jacket and put them in a landscape that's been done. So I haven't, I didn't invent that. I just <laughs> added it to the way I compose my images. I think, yeah, it's just a beautiful way of adding a person and to the composition of the shot. And it really, for me, I, a lot of people ask me, oh, you know, why why is there a person in your in your shots? And for me, it's really to make a a location more attainable. 
Mm-hmm. What I'll try and do is just put a silhouette of a person there. Or I'll use the, co- the primary colors to make them stand out, but I will never show their face. In general, I won't. And it's just so if you're seeing this image, you it makes the, it gives the landscape a scale as well, but it also makes you think you know, that you, you, it's a lot more of an adventure and it makes you think that could be me on that kayak or that could be me standing in front of this castle. Or, and yeah, so it's, it's about inspiring travel or ex- inspiring adventure, I guess. So yeah, that's, that's the reason for having a person in it. The bright colored jackets are just a good way to make them stand out make them the actual subject of the shot. Yeah, I love it. I think it's fantastic. We were talking about it and praising you just a couple podcasts ago because it's such a perfect way of getting, like you said, someone to feel like that could be me standing there on that waterfall and looking out over and having that beautiful vista in front of me. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different way of using photography to inspire to something different. It's not just a beautiful landscape. It actually... It, it connects the person who's looking at the image more to the landscape, I think, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had a chance to sell any of those on stock photos? Because with stock photos of the person in them are, are just majorly wanted. They are sought after. Uh, actually, I'm not too big on stock photography. I mean, I, I, I haven't signed up to anything. I've, I started with someone here in Australia who's creating, creating a pool for travel-related stock photography. So <laughs> I've submitted a few images there, but... Right now, I think I have 20 photos up for sale in stock photography. So <laughs> yeah. it's not, not really part of what I'm doing yet, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know it was in demand. So yeah, maybe I should. Well, I know, I know that it's something that when we were on 500px, they're always looking for certain contests or looking for certain pieces of art. They mention having a person in there. Yeah. And, and just simply looking at all the market right now, you, everything you see, you see a person or two in the shot, but not necessarily looking at the camera just to bring that scene alive. So yeah, yeah. it definitely yeah. would be. You mentioned it's not what you really do. And what you do have is an Olympus visionary title. Olympus Australia only. Is it significant that it's only Australia? Or are you an Olympus ambassador for the world? I am for Olympus Australia, but I guess it's it makes it easier to work with other Olympus countries. So, But it, it's not, it is just a title for Olympus Australia, I guess. Okay, so Olympus, as an Olympus visionary, how did you ever become that? And what does it actually mean for you and your goals and careers? I get asked a lot. I get that question a lot. How how do I become a visionary? You know? I use Olympus camera. How do I, how can I, <laughs> how can I sign up, you know? Um, right. And I think it depends, obviously, on the photographer, but a lot of times it's people that want to be a visionary to be able to be a visionary. So that's the end goal. Whereas I always say, you know, you should be a visionary because of what you do, not what you want to do as a visionary. It's just oh. a visionary is just a result of what I do. So I, I consciously obviously work towards becoming a visionary or becoming a part of Olympus. Um, I decided I sold all my Canon equipment and bought Olympus cameras because I knew there was an opportunity there, but it was never the ultimate goal to just be a visionary i mean i I became a visionary because of what i was doing with their cameras and that's how i caught their attention and and how we got talking so and it's a slow process it's not just you know sign up here and it's great but it 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 took over a year you know i i didn't have any paid jobs or projects for them it took me over a year to collect the i wrote on my blog article i wrote blog articles about how i was comparing the equipment i was using i was 
um, writing some reviews, just things, my experiences and putting my voice out there and connecting it to Olympus. And obviously that's a slow process. You don't just do it from one day to the next. Yeah, Olympus Australia loved what I was doing with their cameras and um, it gave me the opportunity to do what I'm doing now, I guess. I got the internship with Chris Burkhardt and after that I basically started pitching projects to Olympus saying, look, this is what I want to do in the future. Those are the countries I want to travel to and every country turned into a project and, mm-hmm. and whatever they liked, I, you know, I would get a little bit of money to do it. Otherwise, it was out of my own pocket most of the time. So yeah. <laughs> we understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Currently, all of our projects are out of our pocket. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's limited, limiting. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Even now, I still have projects where I'm, you know, I, I still don't pay myself a salary, or I just get to travel to places, and and that's really great. But I don't actually make that much money doing it. I, you know, I have a lot of income streams, but they're all very slow flowing. It's not, you know, a lot of people say, I think I make a lot of money, but actually it's, it's just enough to do what I love doing, which is fine. And I don't really do it for the money. So it's, it's fine. But yeah, there is an illusion out there that, you know, if you have the title, then you get a lot of money doing all these things. So no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the principles of your parents, like you were talking about earlier. They live in a certain way so that they can travel. And that's what you're doing right now. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't have a car. I don't actually have a permanent address. Um, I'm just fortunate enough to be able to swing by my girlfriend's parents and come back to Belgium to my, my parents' place. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we're on the road nine almost nine months of the year so oh yeah so it it doesn't really count i guess it's just (laughs) stopping by you know getting some good food and then leaving again so i yeah next saturday i'm flying back to sydney and on tuesday i fly to nepal so i have almost 24 hours in australia (laughs) before (laughs) that's it oh wow (laughs) have you ever followed elia locardi yeah 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 i have you're living a little bit of his lifestyle with him and him and his wife that they go all over the place yes i've been told (laughs) (laughs) oh man awesome okay so we'll come back we'll take our first break of the podcast and then we'll come back we'll talk with chris about some of his actual adventures and where he's gone in the world and learn more about chris Sarah walker all right Botog Adventures has always been about sharing the stories of our failures and our successes when we come to amazing places. Photog Adventures is not about Aaron King and Brendan Porter. It could be about anyone who goes out on a photography adventure. If we can get properly funded, we can go anywhere and help others create their own Photog Adventure videos. And eventually, pay others worldwide to share their adventures. If you see value in this content, you can help us out with $1, $2, $5 a month and help us keep this content coming. As patrons, you can help us keep our podcast commercial free and gain early access to our YouTube videos without ads. We really like the idea of not putting an ad right in the middle of our videos and podcasts just so that we can afford to keep making these things. Our current content is not going to change, but the more support we can get, the more we can create. Thanks for considering being our patron. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We're talking with Chris Air Walker with photography, adventure photography, and having stories about going out in the world. And basically, Chris is just making us really jealous right now. We really wish yeah. we were living his life. <laughs> but unfortunately, we have kids and jobs that keep us from being Chris Air Walker. But you mentioned that you had a travel blog. And so we can kind of live vicariously through Chris Air Walker on top of your YouTube videos. How often do you write in that travel blog? And what is it? Where is it at? It's called 
thesandyfeet.com. And <laughs> the sandy basically, feet. yeah, took us a long time to come up with that one. Um, and you yeah. found the domain available. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did, which was nice. <laughs> uh, but it, it's basically, it's my girlfriend was always traveling with me to all these places. So we decided to, you know, we wanted to continue doing this traveling. So we figured, what can we do to so that she can do while we're on the road, while I'm taking photos or doing projects for Olympus or whatnot nice, um, that right. could help us on the long run to be able to, you know, run our own thing and, and, and finance our travels and hopefully make a living out of it in a few years. And, yeah, logically we decided, you know, we're going to all these exotic places that are off the beaten path. We get all this experience in traveling. We've been traveling for the past five, six years. So, mm. we, we, you know, we have quite a bit of knowledge around travel. So we decided to create this travel blog where we um, share the guides, the stories, all the stuff that happens that you won't see in the in what I do, but it can help you get to those places. So, we, you know, we'll travel around. We just came back from South Africa and Namibia and we wrote plenty of guides to the places that we went to. So awesome. it's a great way to tie in the adventure photography on location to help people get there and write guides about those locations. So that's that's what the travel blog is about. Oh, that's going to be huge. Yeah, we publish one to two stories a week. Oh, wow. One to two stories a week? That keeps you really busy. I know that it's hard enough to create your YouTube videos and edit them, but then also to blog. And that's been my challenge right now. And you get one to two out a week, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I do. We do. My girlfriend does the writing. I, I still do most of the photography. So um, Great. we have a nice balance that way. So she does the writing for the travel blog. I do oh, okay. photography and all the episodes and and all the, yeah. That does make nice. it possible. You have yeah. someone else to help you do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, um, does she do your camera work for you? Is she the one behind the camera a lot of times? Yeah, yeah, she is. Uh, she's picked up, um, obviously has an Olympus camera as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, um, oh, it's just logical so we can swap out lenses and, you know, so, so she can have access to all the lenses that I travel with and make use of them. Um, but yeah, she, she, a lot of the photos on the travel blog, she will take, it's good because I have this certain style of photography and getting to a place. Um, I have a different vision for my photography than she might have for the travel blog. So she's thinking, Oh, I'm, I'll write this guide about, um, the panorama route in South Africa. Then we're going to, we're going to need some photos of details of signs of, uh, you know, all the, the B-roll basically. So she she will take the photos that fill in the gaps when you're trying to write this guide. Um, we obviously try to communicate as much as possible, and I will shoot all the stuff that that you never see on my my content on my platforms, but that will definitely go towards the sandy feet, so we can um, complete the guides. Nice. If she does photography, it's mostly for the travel blog. Well, it's cool that she has fun traveling with you and not just, if my wife traveled with me, our goals would be to travel to every restaurant in that area. We want to try out all the different food. She would never go on the hikes or go up in crazy places <laughs> and be my photographer. She wouldn't really want to do that. I guess you learn the capabilities and the amount of how far I can push it. <laughs> so, yeah, we do yeah. restaurants too. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. My girlfriend loves that we share so many passions and that she doesn't mind going on a, a full day hike and camping and all those things. And, you know, even if, if sometimes my photography is a, that person is sort of posing in the shot so I can capture the, the right composition. It's still, it's still real. I mean, we still hiked the, the 10 hours and, you know, we're still there doing what you see in the photo. It's just, yeah, um, yeah. I'm just lucky that she's 
that she loves doing all that and then like standing still for a while for me so I can run around and get the shots. <laughs> yeah. I see you with the walkie-talkie too that you're always communicating with her from the distance and so she has to be pretty patient. Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah. But, I mean, mm. we, we work together pretty well. We get to a place and, you know, she'll grab the jacket and be like, where do you, you know, where can I stand? And it's just really efficient once we get into our flow. <laughs> it's, nice. It's funny. <laughs> well, don't, don't ask her to start light painting for you because you might break something in the relationship there. There's a lot right. more. Yeah, the light painting is just a pain, so it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, light painting. I, I don't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad it's over. We, yeah. So you were, <laughs> you were talking about some of your stories that you put on the travel blog. What are some of your favorite stories that you shared that could apply to stuff that us as photographers, we always run into? I think my main thing, you always tell people, I always tell people, you know, golden hour, you have to be there for sunrise. I prefer sunrise to sunset anyway. There's less people and it's just the day's awakening. It's this special moment. But, I mean... You know, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I've tried so many years, but I just, yeah, I struggle. So I I tend to be late <laughs> and I end up running so many times with my camera and always trying to create an episode for YouTube. And I, so many times it's now, oh, and I'm late again. And every <laughs> single time I'm, I'm running with all this equipment, it's good because my Olympus cameras are so small and it's a good promotion, but it's also showing, you know, how... We're all struggling to get that early morning light. So, yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's sort of turning into a thing. <laughs> which is, yeah. Where were you the latest where you still captured it, where you actually made it even though you were crazy late? I guess in Namibia probably was the last time. We were at Deadflay, which is on the, well, west coast, well, not on the coast, but it's it's one of these one of those photographer places um, with the dead trees standing in the desert. Yeah. My last episode, episode sixteen, I think, was about that. I I left some time in this place because I knew I wanted to capture a few more than just one day's worth of photos. So we, the first day we got there, and it turned out to be a sixty-kilometer drive to get to the parking, and then another two kilometer walk through soft sand before you actually get to the oh wow the, wow the trees so it's it's this rush in the morning and they don't open the park until exactly an hour before sunrise so you you get oh, really just enough time to get there and set up your tripod and, and get the they get that that perfect shot where the sun rises just and hits the dune on the opposite side of the valley but not yet the valley floor so you get those yeah. dark silhouettes and, and you get the bright red colored dune in the background but that was a rush every single day. Oh, that makes so much more sense now. And I saw the video. You said, I'm going to get up early and be out here more for this next day to try and capture the shot from being on top of the dune. But then you said you didn't make it. And I kept thinking, ah, it's too bad he didn't wake up earlier. But you had no choice. You basically are giving, you were given like a race. It's like the starter pistol went off an yeah. hour before, go. You had no yeah, other option. Is, and there is... I don't know, 20, 30 cars that are driving in and, you know, <laughs> racing <laughs> to this place. And, wow. Yeah. Oh. Also turns out that that is the place with the tallest dunes in the world. So a dune is always deceiving. You never know how tall it is until <laughs> you're trying to walk up it or you see a silhouette of a person standing on it. You know, oh, yeah. It takes forever and it's so soft. It's one, two steps forward, one backward and... <laughs> Soft sand and, yeah. We don't get to see it in your video when you you say you go up the hill, but then we don't see you on the hill. Is it just you got up so far and you realized 
I'm going to miss the light if I don't go back down. Yeah. So I, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go over to the other dune on the other side. And my girlfriend was going up to the, the, the one that was close to the parking lot. And I started walking across and I'm like, this is so soft. I'm never going to make it considering <laughs> how long it takes her to get to the top of this one. And I'm going to cross this valley and then walk up the steep side of the dune on the other side just so I can get her silhouette in a sunrise shot that I'm probably going to miss. And then, yeah, so I decided, okay, that's not good. And then I, I started compromising more and more until I was just shooting the trees again. <laughs> that's exactly how it goes for us. One of the features we wanted to do originally in the podcast was talk about our trip before we ever go and then go on the trip and come back and talk about everything that went opposite of what we expected (laughs) because that happens almost every time. Now, you you just went to the Faroe Islands. How much can we hear from that story? Because I know that's going to be your future videos. You don't want to kill any of that information, but then that's a cool place. How was your weather? Um, Surprisingly good. I mean, we went from minus 15 degrees Celsius to... In the twenties, I think. Wow, that's oh, wow. a big like jump. Range. It's like sixty, eighty degrees Fahrenheit change. That's huge. That was over the two weeks that we were there, so it was it was pretty, pretty big. I mean, we had a meter of snow one day, and the next day it's blue skies, and then it's hail, and then it's <laughs> oh, stormy wow. wind. It was a, definitely a challenge, but we had a lot more good weather than bad weather, which was nice for the project. A long time ago, I, when I was traveling in Cuba, I met. Uh, an Australian guy with a Dutch girlfriend and they had met in Australia and were living in Holland or in the Netherlands. And my girlfriend and I, were, I mean, we basically a clone. Just yeah, the opposite, yeah, the opposite yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a really interesting meeting in the Double middle of nowhere in Cuba. Yeah. And um, yeah. turns out this guy was really into slacklining, highlining. Oh, yeah. So, uh, slacklining, walking a tightrope between two two points. Yeah, yeah the highlining do- one is nuts. I saw your video with the highlining guys in Germany, right? Or was uh, that in Belgium? That was Belgium. That's actually one of the guys. Mm. So, that that is the guy. I, I met him. He said, you know, this is what I do. I often go down to Belgium because obviously in the Netherlands, is, it's completely flat. There's no <laughs> right. place to, to highline unless you're doing it between buildings. So, they head down to Belgium where there's a bit of rock. And they go highlighting there quite a lot, most on the weekends. And I said, look, when I'm back from my trip, or when I'm in Belgium in June, you know, when what was it, in October, uh, and you're back from your trip, let's meet up and I'd love to see it. And, you know, I know this place. I used to go there with the Belgian army all the time. We used to train on those rocks. Um, I was just really curious to see what he was, you know, what highlighting was going to look like over there. <laughs> so yeah. I joined him, joined him for a weekend, made that short clip I have on YouTube about highlining there. And he was there with his a good friend. And he, there's a team of four of them, the dream walkers, they call themselves. And yeah. they, they were there highlining and yeah, we got along so well. And they were saying, Oh, well, we have this project. We want to go to the Faroe Islands and be the first guys to do it. Oh. Seeing what you guys are doing here knowing how good you are, and I just came back from the Faroe Islands in August, I knew what the Faroe Islands could offer. So it was just a logical sequence that we decided, let's make a film. So six, seven months later, we recently spent two weeks in the Faroe Islands. And um, I mean, the biggest problem was the weather. We... It's so unpredictable, and when there's too much wind, it's obviously not doable. Um, I mean, in extreme winds, which you can get on the Faroe Islands, the tension on the line is too high, and it can snap. Oh, so it's, wow. 
bit of a risky game. So obviously we did not risk anything like that. We were not stupid, but <laughs> right. we also knew we, you know, I'm asking all these sponsors for quite a bit of money and help to do this project. There was seven of us. And we also knew there was this slight chance that there might not be any highlining at all. <laughs> and then we don't have a film. So, Oy. so what happens with that? When you ask the sponsors to sponsor you to highline and then you can't highline because of weather is the, is the sponsorship money basically contingent on highlining, and so you lose the funding? Well, I, I for Olympus, who was the main sponsor for for this project, I had to come up with a plan B and a plan C. So uh, after, if after a few days we were not going to be highlining, and if the weather looked horrible, to, to if the forecast was no good, then I said I would be starting to create. I would start to create um, adventure photography and location episodes. So that was. Plan B is just head out and shoot whatever the weather is, which is really great because it shows off the the weather ceiling of those cameras. So there, there was a yeah. fairly decent Plan B, and I, I said I'll you know, I'll make four or five episodes out of this, and 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 that'll you know that could work. Uh, and yeah, they agreed to that. So we, I mean, I also had a second cameraman and a drone pilot there, so the the scale of the episodes could have gone up quite quite a bit. The quality wow. of the production. Um, but luckily, we didn't have to do that. So I didn't create any episodes while I was in the Faroes. But um, we filmed one terabyte of highlining <laughs> footage, which yeah, it's good. Oh, uh, on the 4K camera? Yeah. So, yeah, it's <laughs> quite the puzzle right now. Um, and then, yeah, so I'm hoping to create this 20 to 40 minute film. At the moment, it's probably 30 to 40 minutes um, about our story there and the, being the first guys to do it and yeah, and exploring the Fair Islands while we're there, showing off a bit of the, the beauty of the country and obviously the culture. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a, a mixed adventure story and just travel documentary style. So yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen in yeah, the that's next really few awesome. days. <laughs> well, that is really cool. That's a collaboration with Dreamwalker. Do they have a website we can go to? Uh, yeah, it's dreamwalkers.nl. Netherlands. Okay. okay. Yeah, Dreamwalkers. Awesome. So, guys, go to dreamwalkers.nl and check them out. I was just showing Brendan right now the video of the highlining of them in Belgium, and I think it's nuts, but it couldn't be more safe with all of the measures that they take. Yeah, absolutely. It's safe. I mean, these guys are really amazing. They, they were great fun to work with, but when it came down to rigging a highline and the safety of a highline, that was top quality and they knew exactly what they were doing so at no stage it was dangerous while we were there wow. obviously there's you know you're still standing on a piece of rope <laughs> over <laughs> you know a cliff of death sure still, <laughs> the safety the risk of it going wrong is so low that you know it's it's okay but obviously to the general person that looks quite sketchy at times so. <laughs> right if we still get on the freeway we have no business talking about that if you're willing to drive on a freeway then you especially take in america americans freeways yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so with your photography in the faroe islands did you get an awesome shot with them doing the slack lining and you got a landscape shot with them in it yeah very oh. much so what was your favorite I, shot? Uh, I'll, if you want, I can send it right now. Oh, yes. Are you interested? Yes, yeah, 100%. It is mind-blowing, the landscape. And it's one of those places where um, scale is just, you, you don't know how big the things are that you're looking at until you're trying to climb up to the top of it. <laughs> we had so many moments where like, yeah, let's just go up there. And then, you know, three hours later, halfway up, because there's no trees on the Faroe Islands, 
There's no very trees. few small forests that are mm. you know, planted locally, but there is not a single real wild tree in the Faroe Islands. So it's impossible to guess how you know how big that mountain is or that waterfall or the cliff. There's just oh. no reference. <laughs> wow. Oh, cool. So there's a highliner going across in red in the middle of the highline, and on the left of the image is... A body of water. Uh, so the, on the left is a lake, but below the highlander is the ocean. And it's this place oh. that many people call the floating lake. Floating and lake. I think if you look up for the Faroe Islands, if you Google the Faroe Islands, that's probably one of the most popular f- photo spots. Um, it just looks like this lake is floating above the ocean. Obviously, every lake is floating above the ocean, but... Um, <laughs> but it's right. so close in proximity, though. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're, yeah. they're really... It's just a visual... Not a visual effect. It's just an illusion that oh, this lake is yeah. so much higher than the ocean, because from that point of view where you're standing, where I shot this photo that's from, just... <laughs> you can't actually see the slope. You're exactly in line with that slope. That's that's astonishing. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really cool place. It also gets quite windy. Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. And what on earth did you guys anchor your slack line into? Just six or seven ground anchors? Just six or seven different drill holes in the earth, or? Uh, yeah, six between four and six anchor points. Uh, we had depending on. Mm. Sometimes we'd put ground stakes in really long metal poles that they would yeah. knock into the ground. Uh, use them as anchor points, or they would drill some of the rock. But we had quite the problems uh, finding good rock. It's very um, there's many holes in it. It's not very strong, so we had to you know, always had to look for quite a while before we picked the right rock to drill. But it all went alright. The, the guys really knew what they were doing, which always helps. Yeah, seriously. I mean, the drone footage of this this place, the the Highlands, is is completely amazing. <laughs> Blows me away every time. It's uh, it's so cool. What's the drone that you have right now? Uh, I don't actually have a drone. I hired a pilot with an Inspire DJI Inspire. Okay, nice. So we could use different lenses and specifically Olympus lenses for this project because Olympus was oh. sponsoring it. It's one of the let's say requirements. So they had the Micro Four Thirds adapter on there. You could just pop the lens on and it's actually a oh. Micro Four Thirds sensor on it. Yeah. So you just use yeah olympus lenses and panasonic lenses and all those so it's it's um it was great we could put up to a 45 millimeter lens on it which is a a 90 millimeter full frame equivalent and that's like flying a laser yeah (laughs) if you're rotating around a point the background is just swooping by in the background like the, the in the distance it just looks very very cinematic it's yeah that's really cool and then with backdrop like the pharaohs it's really you know you have this highliner standing on this this tiny person with all these huge cliffs around and then rotating around them with the drone just made it look absolutely unbelievable (laughs) super epic yeah no wonder why you're saying your terabyte of footage is a huge puzzle because you have so much good to come out of that and you don't know what to keep in and what to take out <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we have to shape the story a bit um things obviously have to the story has to build up to something and then it, it, because it's a, a longer film we have to have a few highlights in it and so the whole thing has to be it's i have to find all these pieces that belong together and arrange them in a way that makes sense as well yeah and if yeah. i did the whole thing in the chronological order i don't think the film would be as exciting as it as the project was so yeah. you have to play around a little bit oh we completely get that to me it's a place i prefer over iceland and not saying a lot that is really a lot it's just so much um 
remote, more remote, and it just feels still undiscovered. Mm. Whereas Iceland is starting to feel a bit um, discovered, uh, overrun, kind of. A lot of the places, have a lot of people at them. So. so that means we have to hurry and go before it becomes the Yosemite of islands. Right. We have a thousand photographers in the same spot you want to be. Right. Did anyone on the High Line actually make it from one end to the other before they were blown off or balanced, lost? Yeah. Um, there was. So we High Lined five lines. Two of them were in the same location. One was a bit longer than the other. But of the five, I think they managed to cross three. Wow. So the two High Lines, they didn't. None of the four guys that were of the four High Liners managed to send it so go from one end to the other um the thing is you have to you have to send it in one direction to be able to give it a name so we have three of the highlines now have some interesting names whereas like the two that we that they didn't manage to finish are still nameless oh so, yeah. that's a highliner rule yeah yeah hmm. apparently <laughs> didn't know we were there <laughs> right yeah. What were the interesting names, or will we hear about it on the video when we all watch it? Uh, you'll see in the video, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We can wait for that. <laughs> we're seeing the last picture where you have snow actually up in there. You said it snowed one of the days. Uh, yeah, so the the second day we had a meter of snow, and we left our base, and, I mean, we were plowing the snow off the road with our cars, so there was just so much snow. Wow. And we had some local guy that was really helpful that, that was living on a different island, and he said, no, it's, it's okay here. So before we set off, well, we set off in, in a meter of snow, and then we go under the subsea tunnel to the next island, and then it's, as you can see in the photo, you know, there's just snow-covered peaks, and the rest is basically nice and clear and good. So in that same day, we actually went highlining as well. Huh. It was completely wild, yeah. The weather is com completely unpredictable. With the Faroe Islands, I get an idea there's several of them. How do you get between each one? Flight or boat? Ferry? Most of the big islands are connected by a tunnel. There's two major subsea tunnels. Wow. So they actually go below the ocean, yeah. And some of them connected by bridge. Some of them you take a ferry to, or most of them you can reach by boat, of course. And it, they have helicopter as a public transport. So for the locals, that means they can really fly really cheap. It's 50, 50 bucks and you're flying, you know, from one island to another. Oh, wow. It's a short flight, but it's probably the cheapest you'll ever get to being in a helicopter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's, it's subsidized by the government. So it, that's how it becomes affordable for the locals. That is cool. But as a tourist or as a foreigner, you are not allowed to go both ways. So you have to pick your island wisely and make sure that you can get a ferry off the island by the end of the day as well. Oh, really? So, yeah. And that's per day. Really? I, I don't actually know. Yeah, it, it might be. It might be that you can fly the next day. I mean, a lot of these islands have about ten to twenty houses on them, and then it's not exactly cafes and restaurants. Yeah, and hotels. Yeah. So it's all locals and farmers, and so yeah, there's there's nothing. There is no big infrastructure for tourism, which is so great. You know, you drive to this village and there's not a single shop. There is not a single cafe or there's no, you know, it's not just made to be visited. It's just people live there and that's what it is. And you get there and you observe this culture and this landscape. And, you know, you can be part of it a little bit because the locals are really welcoming and really friendly and they love sharing what they, they have. That's cool. But it, it doesn't feel like you're a tourist there, you know, so... It's, yeah, oh. it's a it's a very interesting place. Well, you just turn. You just made me want to go there before any other place I go. I mean, I'm I know, ready to spend I know. all I my money go there next. <laughs> for this place. 
<laughs> and, and it's a photographer's dream too. I mean, all these landscapes are so dramatic. You you can capture photos that no one has captured yet. You know, there's there's so many places on the Faroes that haven't been captured. So yeah, it's hmm. but it's quickly becoming popular. I I see on Instagram and things like that. Um, yeah, more and yeah. more people are going. Uh oh. Well, if you get weather cooperating and you're out there for a whole week as a photographer. What do you think it would be like? Just a bunch of uh, taking car rides. You rent a vehicle and you drive underneath the tunnels in between, just to kind of scout out your locations, pick a spot, and then wait for a good moment. Um, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, the fairs are so small. I think in less than an hour, you can almost reach any any place. Wow! Exclude oh. the ones you have to take a longer ferry ride through. So. Nothing is that far away, and the other the other thing is, I mean, it's 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 very high up north, so you do get good light and long long lasting good light, but it also has a lot of bad weather, mm. and it's definitely part of the the photography that you capture there. So you don't really go there to capture, um, don't expect to capture golden hour every day because it's, I mean, it's very rare that you get a good sunrise or a good sunset because it's just always cloudy. Mm. But at the same time, it's these islands that are sticking out. You know, that are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, far away from anything, <laughs> and they're just standing out of the ocean. They look wild and rugged, and there's you know lots of wind, and the clouds are always constantly moving and forming and transforming, and it it has just this this atmosphere that you know I love capturing the bad weather there. It, it actually makes the place look nicer than a, you know, a clear blue sky and <laughs> and. I mean, some, sometimes when the sun breaks through the, the gray clouds, you get absolutely, you know, blown away by the beauty of it. But um, even the gray days are amazing. There's something for every every style of photography there. I think uh, that just I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. I'm so excited about going to it. You meant you have your one picture here where the guys in the middle of the slack line all the way out. The sunlight looks fantastic. I don't think I'm seeing clouds in the sky. I think I'm just seeing perfectly clear horizon. How many days were you there? And how many days were like this where you actually had some light? Um, we were incredibly lucky. We had days. So from the two weeks that we were there, I think five or six days we had great almost blue blue skies which was a bit of a problem for the film uh we prepared for this project thinking you know there's a chance that we won't be highlining at all and we were just doing one spot after another and (laughs) i had no time to shoot b-roll or yeah it was a very strange process making this film (laughs) and then the bad weather came halfway through the project so we were like well now we have to film some of this because this is what it actually looks like Mm. most of the time in the fair (laughs) islands and this is actually the challenges we were going to face we have just been incredibly lucky with the weather and um, we had to you know film some of the reality that actually happens there as well (laughs) right Um, i mean we I got a helicopter ride with Atlantic Airways. They they sponsored uh, a flight for us. We had a, a full hour flight, basically a loop. What you're not allowed to do as a tourist, we got we were oh, lucky to nice. do it. And the pilot said, "I haven't seen weather like this in eight years." Wow, wow. it's perfect. You know, just blue skies and yeah, it was amazing. It was a great great flight. <laughs> Did you ever get a chance to see the night sky from up there? We. Did but most of the days were pretty long, so we we did not have a single dinner before eleven p.m. Oh. Most of the time after midnight, and we'd get up in the morning at at seven or eight o'clock and be outside all day. So 
I mean, there was no chance we could have done night night stuff. Yeah. We were completely exhausted. <laughs> right. But it's a good place. You do see the northern lights when the, the skies are clear. Mm. But yeah, it's not exactly the best place to go and shoot the sky, I think. It's just the, the, the mountains, the shape of the islands just caused the, you know, too many clouds are formed all the time. So mm. you get lucky if you, you know, if you see this, the night sky, that is, you can consider yourself very lucky. Challenge. That is amazing. Sounds like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first time around I visited last year in August, which was summer, I was looking at the Northern Lights forecast and there was a really, really high chance of getting good Northern Lights. And I was following some friends that were in Iceland, photographer friends were in Iceland and they were saying, you know, or last night and tonight is probably going to be the best Northern Lights I've ever seen. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they were, and they were confirming it. And I was thinking, you know, if Iceland's not far away, we must be getting some of that. So we were driving around and just chasing these Northern Lights and I've never seen them in my life. So it's really tough. You're looking for something that, you you know, you don't really know what it looks <laughs> like. You have, a, you have this idea, expectation, but you don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I we drove around all night and you have to be north facing, which is not that easy on the Faroe Islands. Uh, one waterfall spot that is fairly north. It's more like a west facing location, but um, you look straight north. I mean, yeah, we drove around and then it was, oh, is that, is that a little bit of green there? And, and I started taking some really long, doing some incredible long exposures just to see what was going on because it was so dark. <laughs> yeah. All I have from a whole night of being awake and driving <laughs> from one spot to another thinking, you know, oh, that, that, that looks there okay. All I have is uh, green glowing clouds that, are, you know, have completely oh. stretched because of the long exposure. So, I, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think that counts as Northern Lights. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was the oh. most exciting and most boring night at the same time ever. <laughs> so you had Aurora just through it or around it, lighting up the the clouds, but all you could really see were the clouds. Yeah. Ah. And it must have been so powerful that it went through those thick clouds that covered the sky. <laughs> and oh, you wow. know it's right there, and you're capturing the glow of it, but you're not seeing it as quite disappointing. So, yeah, we'll have to go back, hmm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were there in August, you said, and it had a great aurora? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, the end of August, beginning of September. Okay. Just kind of thinking yeah. if for myself on timing it in a way that we could potentially see it. Because it sounds like Faroe Islands is basically covered in clouds almost all the time. And so we'll be lucky if we ever see anything. Yeah. Hmm. yeah we did discover a good place that was above the clouds, like a, a weather station, which is one of the highest points you can reach on the Faroe Islands oh. by car. Hmm. And I think... There might, if the weather's really bad and it's really low-hanging clouds, there's always a chance you can hop through the sky in that spot and be above the clouds. Oh, awesome! Yeah, we had a sun. We had a, like the most amazing sunset. With we had the guys standing there just looking down onto this sunset, and we flying the drone around, and it was just yeah, mind-blowing. Golden skies, we had clouds moving really fast and just pouring over the mountains, all these islands in the distance, and it was just yeah, surreal. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm excited to see that footage. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. This video, do you have any pictures of that on your Instagram that we can check out? Or uh, I did actually publish one photo of one of those evenings, not highlining because that's not out yet. Um, yeah. I don't have anything else at this stage. Most of what I shot was highlighting, and most of the time we were filming, so I didn't actually shoot as many photos as I probably should have. Oh, we know how you feel there. 
it's kind of that disappointing middle where you love doing the photography and the video, and then all of a sudden the video takes up all your time. So yeah, we feel that. Yeah, yeah. We're actually looking now at your picture that you were talking about with your friend on the hill and those clouds. Oh yeah. Man, did you get a time lapse of those clouds rolling around? I did. <laughs> oh. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. going to be money. Oh, that's uh, going to be uh, awesome. Unfortunately, the clouds were moving much faster than I thought they were, and the time lapse is a very fast. The result is a very fast move. Yeah, so, I've done the same thing. I feel the same way. Oh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks all right though. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> okay, Chris, this has been an awesome honor to hang out with you. Finally, I've been watching your videos, admiring your work. You have been growing exponentially on YouTube. If every anyone out there is not following Chris already on YouTube, go find him. You can type in adventure photography on location, or you can type in Chris Air Walker. Air is spelled E-Y-R-E, and he has awesome stuff. Where else, Chris, can everyone go to follow you and find your work and see more? Oh, man, I'm, I, I'm all over it. Uh, Instagram, you'll find me on Chris Air Walker as well, and uh, Facebook, Chris Air Walker Photography. I'm on Twitter as well, but that's not my favorite platform. And obviously, I like promoting my own website as well because it's the only place where I'm not owned by a big corporation. <laughs> so yeah. it's nice. I can publish my work there without, you know, wondering if Instagram is changing their algorithm again. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> and of course, you guys could follow his adventures where he and his girlfriend are writing them up on behind it, the sandy feet. Yeah, the sandy The sandy that's awesome. You're leading a very awesome life, an adventurous life, a life that I'm very jealous of right now, and yet you don't have an address to call yourself at home, but, man, you get behind the tripod with a camera, and you probably feel you're at home anywhere in the world. Absolutely. My backpack's my home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's a good thing you're in the Belgian Army and got yourself in shape to do all of this hiking around with that gear. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> yeah, nothing is too heavy anymore. What was more heavy, the rucksack in the Army or the rucksack that you carry now uh definitely the army rucksack <laughs> okay. we were carrying up to 50 60 kilos and that's Whoa. just not fun wow i can't do the math but 50 60 kilos puts you over 100 pounds doesn't it? 50 kilos 110 pounds 110 pounds you're wow. carrying a teenage girl yeah. on your back a college-age girl on your back awesome yeah, yeah. all the time Okay, yeah, my gear's not that yeah. heavy. Even my gear's not that heavy. <laughs> no, luckily it isn't. Well, Chris, thanks again for joining us. We're looking forward to having you back on again in the future. We'll keep tabs with you. Adventure is all that we're about, and hearing about this guy who goes out and does adventure photography all over the world, we love him and oh, yeah, we hate awesome. him because we're so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's my first time on a podcast, so it's cool. Cool, well, thank you. It won't you. be your last. I'm sure that if anyone else hears this, they're going to want to have you on as a guest. All right, yeah, cool. So that's an awesome podcast with Chris. Loved it. I've been waiting for months and aching to share this podcast with you. I love the fact that he went out there with Olympus and did that project. And I love his stories and how it gives us all hope as landscape photographers and photographers who want to go out for milkweed photography. There's ways for us to make money doing this. There's ways for us to get involved with big projects and make some really cool things. So Chris was a fantastic guest. We can't wait to have him back. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you guys have a good week, and we'll get it back to you with another podcast here in Astro Photo Podcast this week. I promise that. And we'll be back right on schedule on Monday. See you guys.